I used to always didn't like golf. In fact, there was a time where I hated golf. The only reason I started to play golf was because it was the only thing I could do to hang out with older preachers to pick their brains. They didn't like basketball or racquetball or football or anything where I could hit them. They didn't like that. And so I ended up playing a lot of golf just so I could pick the grains. I really didn't, really didn't like golf then. And uh, it really wasn't until I started coming to Kirby Church about 20 years ago um, that I started playing golf more. I played with guys like Joey Anthony and Gerard Memory and Bob Harden, and they were very good. And I stunk it up, you know? Uh, I, I would leave the tee box, and from the tee box, they would all hit their ball into the fairway. And me, I would hit my ball into the woods, the potato patch, the bean patch, the cornfield. I would hit it anywhere except where I was supposed to go. And they were so cool, they just kind of kept playing with me, kind of giving me little tips and little lessons and little stuff. And so I enjoy the game a whole lot more. I still stink at it, but I enjoy the game a whole lot more. And so since I can't play well, I just hang around with a lot of golf people that, uh, you know, and just kind of look the part, you know. And if you can't play it, look it is my, you know, is, is my motto. Well, we're in a series now entitled Living Life in the Fairway, or Life in the Fairway, Living as God Intended. And I'm really excited about it because I think God's going to do a lot of really interesting things in our hearts and our lives because there is quite a few parallels, I think, between this game, event, activity, hobby. I'm not sure I'm still ready to call it a sport yet, but all I know is when my kids were little, it was the best thing to take a nap to on Sunday afternoon ever. And for those of you who don't like golf, I want you to know that, man, it is a tough thing to play. Man, it's tough. And I know the ball doesn't move, and I know nobody says anything, so it ought to be pretty simple, right? Well, when nobody's talking, I get a little nervous, and so that part is kind of like, like rough for me. But basically, the game is very simple, and here's the premise of the game. You put the ball on a tee in a tee box, and you hit it from the tee to a fairway. Then you go from the fairway to a green, and then you put the ball into the hole when you're on the green. Man, that sounds so simple. But man, if you have ever played golf, it could be one of the most frustrating. I don't know why in the world we pay to frustrate ourselves. I mean, it's just crazy. It's ridiculous what we do. And so... There's a lot of life lessons we can learn from golf. For example, many people look at Tiger Woods, kind of a few years ago, Tiger Woods, and they look at his swing and they said, man, that was kind of like the perfect swing. There are no flaws in his swing. Now, if you look at my swing, and, uh, and, and Tiger Woods, by the way, he would tell you that there are a lot of flaws in his swing. And I can tell you that my tilt is not right, my swing plane is not true, that I generally decelerate instead of accelerate through the clubs. I get my head, my hips out before my hands. I mean, I am all messed up in my golf swing. But Tiger, man, he can flat, back in the day, he could just flat nail that ball and, and hit it. But if you were to ask him, he would describe with technical precision and technical clarity what's wrong with his swing and what he's got to do to do it better. He knows his handicap. He recognizes his limitations. And he flourishes in this game within him. Take your Bibles and turn with me. 
to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, normally I kind of take one text and just kind of stay in that text. Today, we're just going to kind of spend a lot of time in 1st and 2nd Corinthians and a few other books that Paul wrote. But look to what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. In other words, because of all that God was doing in him and through him and what God was sharing with him to share with the church. He was saying because God didn't want him to get puffed up with pride, God gave him a handicap. God gave him a limitation. It was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, because of that, because of that statement, because of God's no, he will live within his limitation. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, here's a great question. Would you rather be perfect and not have God's power? Or would you rather learn to live with your limitations and have the power of God rest on you? Our culture is so consumed with perfection, aren't we? Man, we we just have to have this flawless life. I am telling you, if this is your first time with us to Kirby Church, I'm telling you, this is not a flawless church. I am not a flawless pastor. We do not have a flawless staff, and we do not have a flawless church. We all have limitations. We all have faults with our swing. We all have struggles with our life. But I'm telling you, I would rather have those struggles and have the power of God and his abiding presence with me than to be absolutely perfect and live my life with none of that. Paul said then, verse 10, that's why. For Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm made strong. I like the way that Another Bible paraphrases this text. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get the pig head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me constantly in touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he, in fact, did was to push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. And begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. Then he told me, my grace is enough. It is all you need. My strength comes to you and into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began to appreciate the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over so that the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Isn't that incredible? We put so much pressure to have the perfect home and the perfect marriage. To be the perfect this and the perfect that. To have the perfect swing. 
We put so much pressure on us to do what God said is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The whole plan of redemption is for God to take us from a sinful being that we are and justify us. That's a legal term that means he will treat us as if we have never sinned. But then he sanctifies us. He helps us grow and become like his son, Jesus Christ. So theoretically, anyway, the longer that we're a believer in Christ, the less swing flaws or the less flaws we have in our life. We never attain perfection in this life. That comes in the next life. But in this life, with your weaknesses, with your flaws, with your limitations, the power of God will rest on you. And you see, here's the thing. A lot of times we think because we're flawed, man, God can't use us. And God won't use us. Because I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the talent, I don't have the this, I don't have the that, that God can't use us. By the way, what's your handicap? What's your limitation? In golf, my limitations are my club, my height, my my flexibility. I got the flexibility of a wildebeest. My club speed, my knowledge of the game, and, and a whole bunch more. In life, man... I got all kinds of problems with my, with, and flaws in my life. And while we don't know our official handicap on the golf course, most of us pretty, know, pretty much know where we have our limitations at. I want you to know there are limitations that God can work with. Man, God will work with your limitations. He doesn't bail out on you. How many times has God taken someone with a limitation? A swing handicap, if you will, and do something great with them. When God decided to deliver the nation of Israel from Egyptian captivity, this is so incredible. It is so bizarre. Nobody would ever have thought of this or dreamed it up. He, he had his hand on a little baby. Be, because there was this death sentence on all the Hebrew children, the mama's, the baby's mama put him in a, in a, kind of a little woven basket she made out of the reeds, put him in the river, kind of upriver so he'd float downstream to where Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's people would be bathing and and cleansing themselves and probably performing daily cleansing of their own kind of religious system. And she prayed that God would have her hand on that little boy. Of course, that little boy grew up in Pharaoh's household, killed an, uh, killed an Egyptian soldier, ran out of Egypt, fled for his life. That was the first 40 years of his life. The second 40 years of his life, he spent on the backside of the desert, and nobody heard from Moses. But it was in the last 40 years of his life when God took Moses and sent him back to Pharaoh, and here's what Moses said. God, or Moses said, told God, I can't go because I don't talk very well. And if you want me to talk to Pharaoh, you got the wrong guy, God. And God said, okay, I understand. That's your limitation. Aaron is a great talker. Jabberbox talks like nobody's business. I'll send Aaron to be your spokesperson. Funny thing, you never hear or read about Aaron speaking to Pharaoh. It is always Moses doing the talking. God takes our limitations and he uses them. When God needed a deliverer for the nation of Israel, 
When the Philistines were just embarrassing the Israelites and Israel's God, God had a plan. Oh, it wasn't a plan you would have chosen. He chose a little boy, probably 14 years old, 15 years old, David. David saw this nine-foot kind of behemoth of a man who was trained to be a warrior from his youth. David was a shepherd. On the way down, he grabs five stones. Now, if you're a fighting machine on Israel's side, and he has no spear, and he has no machine gun, he has no tanks, he has no drone aircraft, and all he has is a slingshot and five stones, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, we're dead. We are dead people. We are going to die. We are dead. Because, see, back in the day, they would send their champion to fight their champion. And instead of everybody getting involved in killing whoever won, then the other side then would be the captives and be the slaves. David put the rock in the sling. You know the story. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Let it fly. It didn't slice to the right. It didn't hook to the left. Man, that baby went straight down the fairway right between old Goliath's eyes. Stunned, he fell to the ground. David jumped on his back, grabbed the sword, cut his head off. And the Philistines fled like cowards. Who would have ever thought of that? Then there was this guy named Gideon. Gideon really wasn't much. He was young. He uh, didn't really have a lot of military experience in his background. The Midianites were just huge. They went to fight. And and there was 100,000 of them. And so Gideon sounded the the rally call. We got to fight. We got to defend the honor of the Lord. And when he did, 30 or or about 30,000, 32,000 men came. God dismissed 32,000 of them and then 9,700. And so Gideon was left with 3,000. Hundred men, and here's God's battle plan. They're in a valley. Gideon, you take your three hundred men, space them equally apart around the ridge, around the valley. You take your you take your trumpets, you take your pots of oil, and you take your lanterns. And at the moment time, we're all going to blow our horns together. We're going to break our lamps. The fire is going to burn, and you just stand back and watch me go. That doesn't sound like a military plan of any kind. Man, if you're one of those 300 and you see 30-something thousand people walk away and you're going into battle, uh, an army of uh, almost probably at that time 100,000, I mean, you're probably thinking, hello. But God uses our limitations. He doesn't demand perfection of us. He demands holiness from us. Holiness is never an action first and then a heart. It's always a heart thing first and then an action. It's holiness. So I, what I want you to understand, turn to Philippians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. You ought to be writing these verses down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Now, let me just tell you a little bit. This is a letter written to the Corinthian church. This church had issues. This church had problems. This church was in major, major trouble. And so he says, brothers. He says, think what you were when you were called. Now, he's not talking about ministers called into ministry. He is talking about being called to faith. Through the Holy Spirit. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But, but God chose the foolish days of this world 
to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And that ought to cause us all to amen. It's simply saying that God wants to use us so that no one may boast in him, so that God gets all the glory. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let no one, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know why God loves using us who are flawed, who are imperfect, those of us who have a bad swing. You know why he enjoys using us? It's because people stand back and go... God must be up to something in his life. God must be doing something that that I don't understand. He he takes the mistakes and the flaws and the imperfections and all of a sudden, because he loves Christ and, and is following Christ and is trying to do something for Christ, God takes that and I, I don't know how to explain it. He just puts it all together. It's great news because it means that you don't have to be 21 for God to use you. You don't have to be, have a theology degree for, Don to use, for God to use you. You don't have to play like Don, sing like Amy Jean, counsel like Jeff from Wounded Hearts. I, I mean, or love missions like Josh Smith. God takes us with our limitations and he uses us to get the honor and the glory and the recognition to do because he chose to do something awesome through something like us. Amen? So God wants to use you. Matter of fact, the only reason that you aren't doing something is because of your own personal choice. It's not because of of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Look at what it says. We do not dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. Paul's basically saying, listen, it is an absolutely foolish thing for you to go, well, I would teach, but so-and-so does it so much better. It's about what God wants to do through you. He said, well, I would do this, but I think somebody else would really do it better. It's what God wants to do through you. I am absolutely amazed that the God of this universe allows me the privilege to speak and to teach and to declare his truth. Last week I was at a revival. I was preaching a revival in southern Ohio. And yes, I did remind them of my loyalty to the Ohio State Buckeyes. And the house just erupted. And I told them, I said, hey, if I do that at my church, I get like murmuring and groans and booze. And your team won last night. Please. Chris Oilers, the pastor there, and he's just an awesome guy and had a great time. And listen. You can't compare me to him or him to me or you can't compare our church to their church or their church to our church. We're all unique. And God wants us to celebrate 
the uniqueness that we have in Christ. We all don't have to be stamped out like cookie cutters. We don't measure ourselves against imperfect people who have swing flaws or flaws in life. We measure ourselves, and the standard is not others. The standard is not our church. The standard is Jesus Christ. If you suffer with a sense of insignificance, listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Back up one book in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 or 4 through 6, it says, There are different kind of gifts given from the Holy Spirit. But it's the same Spirit. So if my gift is different than yours, and it is, that's okay. The main thing, the important thing is that it's the same Spirit. You got it? I say this in membership class all the time. That everyone has, every member is a minister and we're to use our gifts to service to the king. And there's no difference in what I do on Sunday morning and what Allie Smith is doing in Children's Church. Or Ann Hutchison is doing in Tot Spot. Or Perry Wilson is doing teaching our Wildcats. Or the greeters when they greeted the serving team who were incredible this morning. The praise band. And on and on and on I could go. There's no difference in what I do and what they do. It is equally as important in the eyes of God. Why? Because it comes from the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. It's the same purpose. There are some different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. So when you're greeting people at the door, the same God that's working in me is working in you. When you love on little children, the same God that works in me works in you. Isn't that incredible that we don't have to sit back and wait until we hit perfection before we jump off the pew or in our case seats and say, God, here I am, use me. We can say, God, here I am, use me. God gives us the opportunity to use our strength, but sometimes we don't recognize it because we're so locked in on what we can't do. We fail to see what we can do. Anybody ever heard the name Charlie Boswell? Charlie knew his handicap. He recognized his limitations and he learned to play golf well within him. He played to his strengths. Charlie lost his eyesight during World War II while rescuing a friend from a tank that was under fire. Through deep determination and a great love for the game of golf, he became the national blind golf champion 13 times. He won that honor. In 1958, Ben Hogan presented Charlie with a special award, and it was an honor for both men. For for obviously anybody of that generation knew who Ben Hogan was, the best golfer of his day, and Ben Hogan knew who Charlie was. He had heard about this 13-time blind national champion. You say, well, how does anybody play golf blindly? Some of the best shots I've ever hit is the ones I never saw, you know, and So Charlie invited the great Ben Hogan to play a round of golf with him. Hogan accepted. Charlie said, well, let's have a little fun with it. Let's play for $1,000 a hole. Now, I don't bet, but $1,000 a hole. Hogan said, I can't do that. What what would people think of me? He said, come on, $1,000 a hole. 
He said, no, really, really, I can't. He said, what's the matter? And he called him the C word. Chicken. Well, that fired Ben Hogan up and he said, all right, anytime, any place, you name the time, you name the place. Charlie said, great, 10 o'clock tonight. (laughs) He understood his limitations. Nothing wrong with that. Let me give you four quick suggestions on living with your limitations. If you see a scorecard, most scorecards will have a little HDCP for a handicap and a place where you figure it out is real complicated. I I read it, tried to explain it because I thought it'd be really cool just when I'm talking on handicap to explain how to figure out your handicap. I don't have a clue. And I read this thing like, we just got one, okay, is all I'm saying. So let me give you four things. First of all, you honor your God-given limitations. Honor your God-given limitations. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. We've already read this before. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. Isn't that incredible? God chose. Some of you are great at meeting people as they walk in the door. Others are great with children. But God chose. The foolish things in this world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak. The things with people with the bad swing, the people with flaws in the life, people with imperfections. And He chose us to make a difference in this world. As you read the Bible, it's amazing how many times God took a nobody and achieved something monumental with them. By the way, I believe that God is leading us in some awesome opportunities coming up honor your god-given limitations then develop an attitude of satisfaction look at philippians 4 11 i'm not saying this because i am need for i have learned underline that word learned in your bible that's not an easy word to do i have learned to be content whatever the circumstances when i first started preaching i felt god calling me to preach at the age of 14 Because everybody I had ever heard preach said they ran from God. I thought that's what you were supposed to do if God was calling you to preach. Run from God. So I ran from God. At 16, I finally said that I I would preach. And so I was in a homecoming service at Edna Avenue Free Baptist Church. My mom was singing and and I did that little recitation thing and And I just blurted it out that I felt like God wanted me to preach. Well, I kind of thought that that meant that God would just kind of let me preach when I wanted to. I'm 16. My pastor comes to me that night at Sunday night church and said, I heard something today. And I went, oh, no, I'm busted. And the next Sunday night, I was preaching to our little church, Eastmont Free Will Baptist Church. Now, you got to understand, I would stand in my room when my mom and my dad, were, my dad was at work and my mom was gone and my brother, he was, um, he was out, you know, working something. So I would stand in there and I would talk like Billy Graham. I mean, I could imitate Billy Graham because Billy Graham had led many to God. And I thought if I was going to lead many people to God, I had to talk like Billy Graham. 
Then I grew up in an era and in a time and with a, a group of churches where people, where the preachers, if you were really good, you hacked. Anybody know what a hacking preacher is? Amen? Oh, glory. I'd stand there and practice that in front of a mirror. I looked absolutely ridiculous. If you don't know what it is, it's where you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk till every ounce of, of oxygen is just exfoliated from your lungs and you have nothing left and the inhale is so violent, it just makes this <clears throat> sound. And man, I would practice that thing because I wanted to be a good preacher. I, all the good preachers I knew had this <clears throat> hack thing. So I would... Man, I'd try to get this hack thing. Then the killer was my first sermon I ever preached. Everybody I'd ever heard growing up preach the first sermon. They preached for three minutes, cried for 27 minutes in front of people, and everybody would just go, Oh, bless their heart. Bless them, Lord. I preached for 30 minutes and didn't shed a tear. I went home that night, crawled in the bed and go, oh Lord, I'm going to be such a failure at this thing, you know? You got to have this little attitude and accept how God made us. I heard a cool little story. Hopefully you can follow this story. A little boy or a grown man talking about his childhood said, ever since I was little, I never wanted to be like me. I always wanted to be like Billy Weddington. But Billy Weddington didn't even like me. But I walked and I talked like Billy Weddington. He chose to go to the same school, but when Billy Weddington changed, then Billy Weddington changed, he began to hang around Herbie Vandeman. He walked like him and talked like him, and that really messed me up. I began to walk and talk like Herbie Vandeman. Then it dawned on me that Herbie Vandeman walked and talked like Joey Haverland, who walked and talked like Corby Sabeson. So here I am walking and talking like Billy Weddington's imitation of Herbie Vanderman's version of Joey Vanderland's impression of Corby Sabeson. And you know who Corby Sabeson was walking like? Of all people, that dork Kenny Wellington. And that little pest walks and talks just like me. <laughs> Be content with how God's made you. Now, don't be satisfied with the flaws. Work on those that you can. But allow God to work through those that you can't. Then be persistent. Paul said in that great kind of climax of the Philippians letter, he said, I press toward the mark of the high calling, towards the goal of the price which Christ has called me to. Heavenward. Heavenward. Not perfection. Heavenward. Heavenward, and then play to your strengths. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 says, We have all different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, that's preaching, foretelling, let him use it to the proportion of his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, oh, please encourage us. If it is con contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. It doesn't matter what your gift is. The point is, do it. Do it. Do it. Well, I'm not perfect at it. You don't have to be. 
in the flaws of your life, in the failures of your life. He doesn't put you on the bench. He says, that's all right. You keep pressing toward the mark of the high calling. You keep pressing to be like my son, Jesus Christ. And I will work through you in a way that you cannot even imagine. Isn't that great news? That God in heaven, who created all that you see, and the angels and all that is in that spiritual realm, decided that he would use folks, flawed human beings like you and me, play to your strengths. Well, let me ask you, do you know what your limitations are? The really awesome thing is that at Unlimited, God is not limited by your limitations. He uses them, in fact, as we've read many times over in our message and our sermon today, he delights. (laughs) He delights in them. He takes joy in them. Let me see if I can give you a word picture. I love my wife. I enjoyed my children. But I delight in that grandbaby. We are FaceTiming. I am probably one of the top, bottom ten, least techie guy in the room. And I'm FaceTiming. Little Emma Kate in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hello, baby. How you doing? There we are. Oh, I love you so much. And I'm thinking, you look like a retard. How can she love, you know, you just look like a crazy man, you know? And I'd lean in, and I, she'd lean in. So I start doing that, think she was going to kiss me. She just wanted to chew on the phone. <laughs> Had nothing to do with me. Delight. Is a whole nother level. God loves you so much that he gave his son to die on a cross for you. But I'm telling you, he delights when you let him work, even though you're flawed. Even though your swing isn't what it ought to be. Even though you may slide a little to the right or hook a little to the left. But that he uses you to make a difference in this world. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment?